Welcome to Communication on Point. I'm your host, Dean Hefta. You know, in this climate, this world that we're living in, it can feel like there's more and more disagreement and debate and dissension than what we remember in the past. And one of the challenges that we have is, on one hand, we're more connected. You know, we have social media and, and mobile phones and ways of being connected that previously we've never experienced. On the other hand, we've never been less connected. We spend less time in social groups, less time in friend groups, less time physically together. And that changes the dynamic and understanding. So today I want to dive into disagreeing and being disagreeable. Let's get started. So we think about somebody who maybe likes to disagree or that we consider, you know, they have to take the other side of whatever position we're on. And what we're really frustrated about maybe with that person or with that relationship is we're experiencing them being disagreeable, right? The, no matter what it is, they're taking the opposite side. They won't even entertain my perspective and it creates frustration and annoyance. And I was having a chat with a friend of mine this evening and uh, we we're talking over all kinds of things and subject of politics came up and he said, you know, it's interesting. My, um, my wife's aunts have a, a situation where one of the sisters reached out to the other one recently and didn't hear anything back, which was out of character. So a few days later, tried again. And the response was, I'd rather not talk until the election is over. Now you think about that. I would rather not have an interaction with someone I love rather than risk the potential for having a disagreement or becoming disagreeable. Maybe I don't like the emotions I feel or the frustration I gain. And the two of them admittedly come from different ends of the political spectrum. And so much about politics and religion, we were told that those are a couple of things that you just don't bring up at the dinner table. So much of those are at the core of our identity, of our beliefs, that we, in that moment, can feel a need to defend our position. And when we think about those ideas, we, we can say, you know, people have different ideas that they possess. Well, the, um, the psychologist and you could say philosopher, deep thinker, Carl Jung, had a phrase, a concept that I think is appropriate that maybe is helpful for us to consider. He said, people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. So when you think about that, we use the phrase, you know, ideas that I possess. Well, if we take Carl Jung's approach to that, the flip of that is really the ideas that I'm possessed by, right? And so when we have that level of connection with an idea, we are beginning to create it as a truth, a way of how things are or should be. And when people don't accept that, agree with that, we begin questioning, are they being disrespectful of me? Can I even trust them if they don't share that same belief? See, we've been confronted now with something that has become connected to our identity. And you know, as humans, we would rather not spend energy on things that we see as um, not helpful. And so when a belief is confronted by information that might be threatening to it, we have a choice. 
we can either dive into it and, and understand, hey, maybe there's a chance that my beliefs aren't uh, where they need to be. But as we know, that is the rare, rare response and rare, rare exception to what we typically find, and that is that information doesn't fit how I see the truth, how I see the world, or how I see myself. And so I will reject it, and I will also reject the person who brought that to me. You think about the the boss whose uh, employee brings them some bad news, the proverbial king who uh, kills the person who delivers the bad news. See, we end up, maybe unintentionally, confusing a perspective or a problem with a person. They, they become fused together as one because perhaps when we think of ourselves, we don't separate ourselves, our perspective from who we are as a person. It is one. It is part of our identity. And so in that, when someone brings a different perspective, the risk is we then turn that into their identity. And if it is remarkably different or diametrically posed to our view of things, how do we process that? Both of us can't be right at the same time. You see, if I take that zero-sum game, if I take this binary approach where I think, hey, one of us must be right, and surely it can't be me that's wrong. So you must be wrong. And if you can't understand it, you must be an idiot. And I don't hang out with idiots. Or maybe you're a liar. Or maybe you're all kinds of things that I might assign to you. Maybe I don't say those words, but I assign these things to the person. And so how do we get past that? Because it happens to all of us. We get caught off guard with an opinion that we're like, where did that come from? How did this happen? And we feel this natural kind of primal response to defend our territory to defend our belief, to defend our identity. So what can we do? Well, one of the things is recognizing that what's immediately happening is in our mind, we are saying to ourselves, if I were them and I held that perspective, boy, I know what would be going on in my mind and it ain't good. And so in our attempt to see things from their world, what we've actually done is only used our view of the world to understand how we think they see the world. You see, that's what's happening. It's, it's if I were them. And the challenge is, we have a hard time even remembering things we didn't know five years ago. You know, we've learned and we grow and we change. And we, we forget what we didn't know then, our past self. And we have a very challenging time projecting ourselves into the future, 10 years into the future of what kinds of things would we enjoy or would we want 10 years into the future? And it's hard for us to even see that the things that we might like 10 years in the future would be different than they are today. The kinds of music, the kinds of activities, all of those things. We, we can't foresee that. So no wonder it's hard for us to understand somebody else's perspective. So here's some things to consider. You know, one of them is when we're having these intense conversations, these Conversations where we're maybe finding ourselves trying to defend our view and convince somebody else against their will. Well, we know that, <laughs> at least for me, I've never seen an argument that escalates lead to one of the persons saying, you know, after all of this highly personal back and forth and attacking that you've done with me, I realized that my beliefs were completely wrong. You're correct, and I'm going to change my view of things. 
I've never seen that happen. In fact, it typically creates a chasm, a divide in the relationship. And we don't set out to create that. It becomes this outcome that's like, how did we get here? And so one of the things that can help us is, and I, I, I'm hesitant to use this word because it's uh, in many ways overused, but it really is about empathy. And how I want to think about empathy is the ability to see the world from somebody else's perspective through their experiences, taking that moment. And some of the things that can help with that empathy is, is first considering the concept of positive intention, that this other person probably didn't come into the restaurant or come over for dinner or get up that morning for the sole reason of making my life miserable. That their view on the world, their perspective on what's right and what's good is a very different path, perhaps, a different perspective, a different means. But if we really dig into it, we probably want the same thing. We want a successful country. We want families to be happy and to thrive. And a majority of our agreement then, if we're thinking about politics right now, happens there at the end. What we can agree on, what we're trying to accomplish. The same thing happens if we're in a business conversation where we are disagreeing on a strategy or an approach or a part of our business that we're debating whether we should do this or that, and it turns into who's the strongest one and can be the most vocal about their position. And if we take the position of positive intention, what we're saying is regardless of what the person's view of things are or what they've just said or what they've just done, they've done that with a positive intention, a desire for success. And sometimes we hear things and see things, we're thinking, how is there anything positive around that intention? Well, if we, if we use that mindset, we can step back and say, there is something that they felt by saying that or doing that, they were going to get in a positive way. And so that gives us some grace to say, you know what, they, um, they didn't set out to, to you know, get me all riled up, right? That's not their intention. And I'm going to give them some grace that they have a, a desire for things to be successful and good and positive. So that's the positive intention that can help us. The, the second is the recognition that other people have had very different environmental experiences. Now, with these two sisters, you could think, well, how different would their experiences have been? They were raised by the same parents. They were raised in the same environment, the same geography, all of those things. And you see this over and over, where people in the same family end up with very different views. Well, certainly not every experience can be the same. And each of us are going to interpret the experiences that we have in different ways. And one of the things that fits into that is our perceptions. See, we can't take all the information in the world around us and process it. We have to have some filtering mechanism. And so we have these perceptions, these six primary perceptions, ways of, of seeing the world and filtering the world that begin to inform us, inform us on, on what we see, what we hear, what we process, what we value, what we pursue. And all of those things then begin over time to develop this identity, this belief, and that can become entrenched when we infuse and fuse together who we are with what we believe. And that can close down dialogue and, and discussion and possibility. And so the recognition of those things happening, that 
that we can grant you know a positive intention to other people's behaviors that we can accept that people have had very different backgrounds that are informing how they're perceiving information and people and that they're going to filter information in different ways than what we are all of those things are happening and so that gives us some level of maybe grace or benevolence or you know we're we can meet them from a different way of seeing them and what's important about that is I'll, I'll use the, a quote of a, an, another famous psychologist, Carl Rogers. And we can apply it in a slightly different way than what he stated. He, he stated in a therapeutic way, and here's the quote. Progress can only occur when you accept the patient for who they are. And I would, I would adjust that a little bit. You know, rather than saying patient, it's the person. So what's progress? Well, maybe progress is in our understanding and their understanding and in our relationship. You know, how do we define progress? And there's also the accepting of who they are, but where they are, how they are. And it's possible to accept somebody as an individual without also saying, you know, where you're at is good enough. Maybe you've got a a, a child or a friend who you see just is not at the level that is possible for where their gifts are or what, what, what could be. And it's different for us to, to challenge them and be candid in what we see. And that's different than accepting them for where they are and who they are. Those are different things, and that's a challenge and an art. But think about that. Progress happens when, when each of us feel acknowledged and accepted for who and how we are. So what, what, what's some action plans? You, you ask for, what can I do? Well, here's four that I, that I think of when we find ourselves in these situations. One is get curious. I mean, get aggressively curious. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, having the self-discipline to say, in this moment, we are miles apart. Having that recognition, saying, I need to understand what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what their perceptions are. I had this happen with me a couple of years ago. Somebody, you know, I have a very uh, strong agricultural background, and somebody came to me with some strong opinions about how things are in the world of ag. And they're not that informed about it. At the moment, I had this sense that I wanted to counter them. I wanted to refute what they were saying. But instead, I got really curious. I just sought to to learn more about what they're seeing and where they had heard this and where, what, what they're really believing. And what happened in that conversation is it kept open possibility. It kept space there. But I will encourage you with this, and that is when you get curious, I'll ask you not to ask why. Why do you believe that? Why do you think that's so? Why did you say that, right? When we use why... It invites defensiveness. People have to defend their position. It's a lot easier and, and more successful when we can look at things like what and how and, and when. Those types of curiosity keep the dialogue going. Second one, here's a phrase that can be really helpful when you're making a statement about your position. And that is, you know, I, I could be wrong. Here's how I see it. Or here's what I've been thinking about. I, I could be totally off base. Essentially, leaving the door open that this is not finite, definite. This is not fixed. This is not the truth. 
that you're open to possibility to keep the dialogue going, that you're not refuting what they're saying, but that we're in a space where there's many possibilities that we're exploring, and I could be wrong. That takes humility and confidence to be able to say, I might be totally way off base here. Third one. When the other person's explaining their position, keep running it out. Get to the end of their thinking. Often what I find, people with very strong opinions and positions regarding things have never thought them all the way out to the logical conclusion. So I can be a partner in that. You know, so what else are you thinking with that? And what are you hoping that might lead to? What might be some consequences if we were to do that? What might we not um, plan on with that type of a decision? So suddenly you become a thinking partner where you're bringing their thinking further along past that emotion stage where they may have been blocked or stuck at. And the final one is recognizing that in me, there's myths that are always running. You know, when I feel that anger creeping up, that need to defend, the myth that I'm buying into is that they can make me angry. The things that they say, I can't take. Right? We've said those words. Ah, they just make me so angry. My blood boils every time I see them or talk to them. That's, that's a myth. See, our anger, our annoyance, is our choice. And that's a tough pill to swallow. But when we recognize that, we can begin saying, you know what? That is a choice that I have. I don't have to be angry. I can observe. I can hear. I can listen to their perspective and their ideas as crazy as I might think they are and recognize they aren't necessarily attacks on me, even though I hold very different truths in my mind. I'm in charge of my own emotion. And so when we raise our level of maturity, you could say, inside that relationship, the whole relationship gets stronger and healthier. So I hope as you find opportunities to have differences of opinion and disagreement, which is a healthy and important thing for us to have in our lives. I hope you look at those as opportunities to learn more, to shape your views, to gather different information, and to actually strengthen the relationship and see how you can have people in your life with very different views and still use that as um, someone you appreciate, someone that you can that you can have in your world and that you don't have to block out so as to not threaten your view of the world. If you have thoughts and questions about topics when it comes to improving our leadership and communication, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I love hearing from listeners about the things they appreciate, about possible ideas, things that they're wrestling with to apply in their life. You can email me at dean at clarisresults.com. You can learn more at Claris Results. I always love each week bringing you different guests and ideas like this, and I hope you find some value in them, especially in this, uh, in this world that we find ourselves in. Until next week, I hope you have a great one. Take care.